Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me for another bonus episode in the series in which I'm sharing our family's experiences in the last year of our daughter Hannah's life, which spanned from February 2008 through February 2009. My desire is to process through the events of those 12 months with the perspective that 16 years has brought and to point people to hope in Jesus along the way. I'm grateful that you've joined me. February 20th, 2008, MRI. On the morning of the MRI appointment, Hannah woke up feeling great. For the first time in nearly a week, she didn't have a headache. Her vision was clear and her pupils were normal. I clearly remember the feeling of relief that flooded over me. Whatever this was, it was over. I could literally feel the weight lifting off my shoulders. In fact, I was so sure Hannah's sickness had resolved itself, I considered canceling the MRI. After all, the copay was sure to be expensive, and I was going to have to leave Bethany home alone for a few hours. But as I recalled the heavy anxiety of the previous week, I decided to keep the appointment. It would be worth the trouble and expense just for the peace of mind that everything was fine. I made sure Bethany was comfortable in the recliner with the Disney Channel on TV, a blanket, and plenty of snacks. I assured her we would be back in a couple of hours, and then Hannah and I headed to the same hospital where Bethany had gotten her ultrasound the day before. We located and checked into the MRI suite, where we were greeted by a friendly technician. She explained a little bit about what to expect and started an IV in Hannah's arm for the contrast, which would be administered about halfway through the procedure. She had Hannah lie down on the narrow sliding table and fastened her down with straps. It was somewhat disconcerting to watch her place a strap over Hannah's forehead, immobilizing her head. I spoke a few words of encouragement to Hannah, then stepped out into the waiting room as the technician entered her little booth and shut the door. Settling into my uncomfortable plastic chair, I listened as the eerie jackhammer-like sounds of the MRI began to drift into the waiting room. I picked up a magazine from the basket beside my chair, but had difficulty focusing on the pages. I clearly remember a fleeting thought running through my head that our lives could be changing forever on that day, in that moment. Quickly shaking it off, I reminded myself that Hannah felt fine this morning, and all of this was just to confirm that she really was okay. Lost in my thoughts, I was startled when the door to the technician's booth opened, and she leaned out of it. In her hand, she held two tickets. She held them out in my direction and said, Here are a couple of tickets for a free meal in the cafeteria. When this is done, I'd like for you and Hannah to have lunch here. I didn't know how to respond for a moment. Why would we want to do that? I declined the tickets, telling her that I had a sick child at home and didn't want to stay any longer than necessary. She said she understood and disappeared back into her booth. Now I was concerned. I couldn't imagine why this lady wanted us to stay and have lunch at the hospital, unless... But no, I dismissed that thought. Hannah was fine. The MRI was going to prove it. The clanging of the MRI finally ended, and the technician opened the heavy door separating us from the magnetic tube where Hannah was. She released her from her straps, and Hannah sat up, both of us glad it was over. As she stood and we prepared to leave, the technician pushed those same two tickets in my direction and much more insistently urged us to go have a free lunch in the hospital cafeteria. She said something about needing to make sure all the films turned out okay before we left, so if we would go down and have lunch and then swing back by the MRI suite before leaving the hospital, that would be great. That way, if any of the films had to be redone, we could take care of that before we left. Okay. This didn't seem right, but what did I know? Maybe an MRI was like an x-ray where the doctor tells you not to get dressed until they make sure they got good pictures of your insides. 
I reluctantly took the tickets, and Hannah and I headed to the cafeteria to have lunch. I have no memory what we ate or even what we talked about. Probably whatever she was missing at school that morning or what had happened on the last episode of American Idol. I do remember her asking me why that lady didn't want us to leave and me assuring her that it was just routine. We finished our lunch and headed back to the MRI suite. When we walked in, I immediately noticed that two of the waiting room chairs had been pulled close together. The waiting area only had three chairs, and they had been spaced far apart when we arrived that morning. In fact, we had laughingly waved to each other from across the room as we sat down. The technician seated us in those two chairs right next to each other, and then told us that our ophthalmologist was on his way over to talk to us. Then she disappeared into her booth. My heart dropped like a stone. There was no denying it anymore. Hannah was not fine. She began to ask me questions about what was going on, and I had no answers for her. A few minutes later, the technician popped back in out of her booth and asked me to step in there with her. Our ophthalmologist was on the phone and wanted to talk with me. I gave Hannah's hand a squeeze and stepped into the booth. The technician closed the door and handed me the phone. Our doctor told me he was on his way. The MRI showed something, and it would need further treatment. Somehow, I had the presence of mind to ask him if Hannah needed to be included in our conversation when he arrived, or if this was something we needed to discuss without her present. He said, I knew Hannah best, and that it was up to me. Yes, I did know Hannah, and I knew she would have a lot of questions. I told him to be prepared to talk with both of us when he arrived. When I hung up the phone, I couldn't seem to get enough air. As I steeled myself to step out of that booth to face Hannah, the technician put her hand on my arm and said, You don't have to go out there yet. Take a minute. Her kindness nearly undid me. The tears came then, and she hugged me. I didn't stay in there long, though. I needed to get back to my daughter. Hannah knew the moment she saw my face that something was up. I sat down beside her and told her what the doctor had said. We held each other and cried a little bit, then pulled ourselves together and waited for him to arrive. I remember pulling a magazine out of the basket beside the chair to help pass the time, and it was a ladies' magazine from 1987. We flipped through it, laughing at the big hair and outdated clothes. It was incredibly surreal. It felt like hours, but it was only about 10 minutes before our doctor arrived. He entered the room and pulled that third chair up to where we were sitting, so Hannah and I were basically knee-to-knee with him. He gently explained to both of us that the MRI revealed a tumor in the pineal region of Hannah's brain. Hannah and I were both pretty tearful, but his words had a calming effect. He asked if we would like to see it, and we must have assented because we soon found ourselves in the technician's booth staring at a ghostly image of the invader in Hannah's brain. The tears returned. Even our friendly technician was crying by this point. We moved back out into the waiting room and sat back down in our three chairs. Our doctor explained that this tumor would require immediate intervention and we should plan to go to Children's Hospital that night. Or, since Hannah was not in any acute distress, we could go home and head to Children's in the morning. Either way, he would call ahead so they would be prepared to receive us when we got there. For me, there was no question. We would go home. Somehow I had to share this news with Brad and Bethany and give our family time to process it. As we sat in our little circle, our doctor and friend took our hands and prayed with us. He placed Hannah into God's hands and prayed for the wisdom of those who would be treating her. 
I don't remember anything else he prayed, but I do remember the feeling of peace that flowed over us in that moment. He gathered up all the MRI films into a big envelope and walked us out of the hospital through a back exit so we wouldn't have to walk through the public areas in our emotional state. We stood outside our car for a few minutes, and Hannah asked our doctor if we were going to have to shave her head. He replied that they might, and said, but it is what it is. For some reason, those words were oddly comforting, a confirmation that this whole thing was out of our hands. Our doctor offered to drive us home, but I assured him I was capable of driving and would be just fine. I remember very little of what Hannah and I discussed on the 20-minute drive home. I do know that, as any typical teenager would be, she was concerned about how her friends would react. She said that she didn't want anyone to know, and I assured her we'd protect her privacy. As we got closer to home, I knew I needed to call Brad and let him know what was going on. He was at his job as a high school principal, and it was about time for the buses to run. I got him on the phone and told him I needed to come home. That was all I could get out before my throat closed off, and I hung up. He arrived at home just a few minutes before Hannah and I did and waited for us in the garage. He had no idea what was going on. In fact, he thought maybe this had something to do with Bethany. We were still awaiting her ultrasound report from the day before. He certainly wasn't expecting MRI results so soon. We pulled into the garage and stepped out of the car. Hannah spoke first. Daddy, I've got a brain tumor. We held each other and cried for a while while I filled him in on some of what the doctor had said. Then it was time to go into the house and break the news to Bethany, who had been home alone sick all day. More tears ensued. Once we pulled ourselves together a bit, we had a prayer time as a family, placing Hannah in God's hands, acknowledging that we had no idea what was ahead of us, but affirming our trust in Him. The peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4-7, began to make itself known. The rest of the evening was a blur of phone calls and visitors. Brad made the hardest calls because I couldn't even talk, which were to our parents, informing them of what was going on. He also called our neighbor, a retired pastor who had become our girl's adopted grandpa. Brother Gerald came down the hill from his home and prayed with us, sharing a scripture with us, which became our theme verse throughout the next year. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Nahum 1-7 Hannah had told me that she didn't want anyone to know, and I don't know how it happened, but suddenly everybody knew. We lived in a small community, and word travels fast. This was a Wednesday evening, and somehow Hannah's name appeared on every local church's prayer list. About 10 o'clock that night, a group of her friends and their mothers appeared at our door with a basket full of gifts, including a soft purple blanket, which they had all signed. That blanket would go with her into surgery a few days later. Our phones rang incessantly, and one of those calls was the ultrasound report on Bethany. With the results of her blood work and the enlargement of her spleen and liver, her diagnosis was changed from pneumonia to mononucleosis. That certainly explained the fatigue and malaise she had been experiencing. Another call was from our ophthalmologist, saying he had made arrangements for us to check in through the ER at Children's Hospital the first thing the next morning. Things were getting real even though the feeling of disbelief that this was actually happening to our family was also very real. In the midst of the chaos of that evening, Hannah remained calm. I remember her saying at one point, Now I'll have a story. I was in awe of the strength that God was clearly giving her. When she went to bed that night, she posted this on her Facebook page. 
I will praise him in the storm. I am going to Children's Hospital in the morning. And I sent the first of what would become a year's worth of emails, this one just to our close family and friends. This is what it said. After several days of strange symptoms and doctor visits, we found out today that our 16-year-old daughter Hannah has a brain tumor. We are headed to Arkansas Children's Hospital first thing in the morning for a biopsy. God's hand has already been involved. The ophthalmologist that we were sent to yesterday is a great Christian guy who sang at our wedding 20 years ago, so he has been taking good care of us. We also found out today that our 12-year-old daughter Bethany has mono, not pneumonia, as she was originally diagnosed. So please keep all of us in your prayers. Both my parents and Brad's parents are coming to Little Rock tomorrow and are going to help us out with Bethany for as long as needed, so that need has been met too. We are looking forward to seeing God working through this situation.